0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Kelly Marie
0: Tran, star of Disney's Raya and the Last Dragon, joins Washington Post Live. To discuss her varied roles in the power of representation. Let's listen. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Michelle Yehe reporter at The Washington Post. Joining me today is Kelly Marie Tran, the star of Disney's animated film, Raya and the Last Dragon. She joins us for our continuing series marking Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So welcome, Kelly.
1: Hi. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. How are you doing?
0: Great. We're so excited to have you. (laughs) So let's dig in. Okay, let's start with Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, Give us a brief overview of Raya and her journey throughout this movie.
1: Yeah, Raya is a character who, you know, when you first meet her, she sort of has this very specific, idyllic way of viewing the world. And then this sort of traumatic thing happens to her. And then you cut two years later and she's sort of this hardened warrior and she doesn't trust anyone. And her whole journey is about learning how to trust again. Um, Yeah, and I think for me, it's a very relatable story arc.
0: (laughs) Yes, trust, a major theme in the movie. I think it's one that would resonate with so many of us. You know, growing up, you watched Disney movies, I watched Disney movies, and now there are so many people who are gonna be watching you growing up, uh, you know, watching this movie um, in this role as the first Disney princess and, and warrior of Southeast Asian descent. There's been enormous response to you in this role, and what does that tell you and say to you about the power of representation in media and the power of seeing someone like yourself depicted in the mainstream?
1: Um, it says a lot. I mean, I think, you know, I was one of those kids, like you said, who grew up being such a huge Disney fan, and and I know that when I grew up, I felt like it was so rare to see someone that looked like me, that whenever I saw anyone, it felt like I was grasping on for dear life, like this was, you know, the thing that I had to hold on to, and I i am just really excited to be part of a movie that really is honoring the specific part of the world that doesn't get to be honored that often. Um, and I'm also really excited to, I guess, be part of this positive change that I think there, is, there has been a really big cultural shift um, in entertainment specifically as well. Like People are really trying to tell stories that are from communities that historically have not been told um and that means a lot to me so yeah
0: yeah and also telling stories about our culture and the seeing the sounds and the food and color uh, i love the emphasis on food <laughs> it was just beautiful to see and i think seeing that reflected in something that you know the rest of the country is seeing has a real special meaning for people who just have not historically been represented in those types of movies mm.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and everything that you brought up about the food, I was also a huge fan of <laughs> of that being in the movie. I think that, um, you know, there was an entire story trust that I did all of this research about this part of the world and, and the food that you're seeing in the movie is all from Southeast Asia. You know, our, our two writers are both of Southeast Asian descent, um, as is our head of story, and... And I think that sort of permeates through the entire film. Like it's a very uh, authentic sort of portrayal of uh, this part of the world. And again, it is a, a fictional world. So, um, you know, it's, it's not based on any one of those cultures, but to honor this part of
0: the world and, and do it right feels really wonderful. <laughs> well, let's watch a clip from Raya and the Last Dragon of your character Raya and Sisu played by Akofina. Uh-huh. both
1: hate water! Oh. Hold on. Sorry, I have not seen... I haven't seen Ryan in a while, and I, like, I still, sometimes when I watch it, I'm like, wow, that really is my voice, it's crazy. So, that's cool. <laughs> I was
0: watching with, with my two cats next to me, I was like, cats do have soul! <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> that's
0: okay. Uh, well, so, you know, like in that clip and throughout the movie, I think one of the striking things about um, the movie and watching it was that, you know, this de- depiction of Asian women as adventurous and strong and really physical, you're in like real or your character is in fist fights in the movie. And I think it's especially important to m- make notice of that because of the stereotypes of Asian women being meek and quiet and subservient and as we know in the past year violence against asian women um, it's been disproportionately reported by women in the asian american community um did that was that something that you were thinking about as you made this movie you know do you did you have any hopes about maybe the way of the the portrayal of of asian women um, and maybe challenging some of those stereotypes
1: um so i think I think that everyone was really aware of, you know, wanting to make sure that Raya was a character who was a different kind of princess. Um, like you said, she's very much a warrior. She's very much, uh, you know, she grew up wanting to be the guardian of the dragon gem. Um, I think that everything you're talking about in terms of stereotypes, like that's something that I'm definitely aware of when I when I take on any roles or um when I take on any projects, I always wanna make sure that I'm not portraying a group of people negatively. Um, that being said, I think that, you know, we bring up this conversation a lot about representation and about stereotyping and about um, the ways in which people are being uh, portrayed in media and and how that affects the way that they are, uh, or people that look like them are treated in the world. And I think that, um, It's a really important conversation because the majority of people who are not in this world, who are not, you know, you or I, who, you know, it's our job to almost like dissect these things and then talk about them. Um, The majority of the world is just sort of subconsciously uh, accepting the things that they view in media and not even realizing it. You know, you... I, I can speak for my own experience, I, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I, I can speak for myself when I say that growing up watching the same image over and over, um, you know, stereotyping Asian people as nerdy or as, like you said, subservient or as quiet, do I feel like as a young child that affected my upbringing and who I became? Absolutely. Do I feel like I have had to do a lot of work in terms of dismantling the... You know the stereotypes and the racism that I learned about myself. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I have a lot of books that I'm currently reading about this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that you know we have to have these conversations. We have to we have to think about what we are saying about certain types of people, especially if historically that group of people has not been depicted or well represented across you know the entire all these different mediums because. People are subconsciously ingesting these ideas as facts, even if we don't realize that. And I think that's a very important thing to consider.
0: Right. And the the role that media and uh, movies and the mainstream culture can play in shaping those subconscious ideas and biases that we form, even without... know even knowing it because it's the news that we're consuming the the films the music all of that that we're consuming as we're growing up and and having fun and you know just spending time in life i think it's so important to you know think about that and, and just make note of that and like you said people like you and i we dissect it but most people probably you just go day to day and like you just take in the movies and you know move on but um Speaking of Asian women in leading roles, what was it like uh, playing uh, with Aquafina, working with Aquafina? What was that experience like? Did you know her?
1: I I mean, I knew of her. I think we had met in passing, uh, like for two seconds. She was going this way and I was going that way. And I was like, I love you. And she was like, I love you. And then that was our (laughs) only interaction. Um, But I just adore her so much. Obviously, she is such an incredible artist and, and, um, a hilarious human being. But yeah, I I feel really grateful that I got to spend some time and space with her um, on this project and that we both get to be, yeah, I, I, she's amazing. So I, I'm fangirling a little bit, but I'm not giving you a cohesive answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally understood. Um, I wanted to ask you about breaking barriers and the complexities that come with being first. Because in addition to Raya, you're also the first woman of color to have a leading role in a Star Wars movie. The first Asian woman to appear on the cover of Vanity Fair. History making comes with a lot of celebration and power, but I imagine also pressure, responsibility and, and scrutiny. Um, and you've spoken about the racism and misogyny that you faced online, especially. And also how you try not to think so much about this just to keep yourself sane. So. I was wondering if you could tell us how you grapple with that duality of being first, of the power and the pressure that comes with it.
1: Yeah, I think duality is a very good word. Um, Because like you said, you know, I, you absolutely, I don't think I could have made it this far if I didn't celebrate the successes. (laughs) Uh, Like you said, you know, being the first is something to be, Excited about, but it's also something for me that highlights all of the work that needs to be done. Um, I always want to make sure that if I'm the first at something, that I will not be the last to do that thing. Um, and I think what you were talking about in terms of the types of responsibility that you feel when you are breaking barriers—I um, think that was something that I used to struggle with a lot. Um, because it felt as if I had this responsibility to represent an entire continent of people, which is just an unfair, totally not doable thing. (laughs) Um, And I, I think in my mind, the thing that I really wanna do is to continue to open doors for other people to follow, if that makes sense. Like everything that I am involved in now very much is aligned with that mission um i am executive producing this documentary called lily topples the world that is about a chinese adoptee by the name of lily hivesh who is an incredible you know an incredible chinese young woman who at a very young age fell in love with dominoes and she is now the number one domino artist in the world i'm executive producing this movie directed by my dear friend Carlos Lopez Estrada about these 25 poets in LA, and they're all from historically underrepresented, uh, marginalized communities. And you know, I think my whole career is going to be about opening doors for people who have historically not been able to exist in this very exclusive space. Um, So, yeah, I think that I think about those things a lot. I think about what it means to be the first. And every time I think about it, the thing that I land on is that I do not want to be the last. Um, So, yeah.
0: Right. Because the definition of first means there is no one else at that level. And so you're constantly, I'm sure, reminded of the fact that you are singularly there. Um, And I think that idea of of carving spaces is very much something that people who are trailblazers and history makers that just comes with that word. And I I do wonder about your, whether you actually have the space to celebrate yourself and, and that accomplishment, because it also comes just by definition with all of that responsibility, you know?
1: Yeah. What's wild is like when you, I hadn't seen that little piece that was played in the beginning. Um, and it, like, made me emotional a little bit because I feel like I go about my day and I, I don't really think about those things. Like, I don't think about, like, I'm the first this, I'm the first that. What I'm thinking about is, like, okay, how do I make space for other people? How do I continue to hopefully make radical, revolutionary art that opens the minds of of the people who who watch it? I... I... I think that I need to, and this is a good reminder, celebrate those things more. Um, but for the most part, I feel like I'm definitely a woman on a mission. Um I, I, I want to as much as possible use the power that I have to highlight uh, you know, other stories and and people who have not been heard before. Um and so I guess my answer is I need to celebrate those things more. <laughs>
0: Well, let's celebrate you. (laughs) Uh, Well, speaking of stories that are not often told um, and are stories, uh, I want to ask you about your immigrant story. Your parents moved here uh, to this country as refugees from Vietnam. Tell us a bit about them and and you and and your journey.
1: Yeah, my parents are superheroes. They really are. my parents both immigrated to the United States in 1978. They're both refugees from the Vietnam War. Um, and, which is funny, even as I say that now, the words of the Vietnam War, it's funny because, you know, I'm very much viewing the Vietnam War through a lens of someone who grew up in America and learned about that war here. It's like not called the Vietnam War over there anyway. It's just a whole thing that I'm figuring out. My parents are amazing. They are immigrants who came to America with nothing. Um, They, I mean, I think they really just had the shirts on their backs and they had to have sponsorships sponsorships to come here. Um, They also both had younger siblings they had to take care of. And they were separated from their parents for, I think, both of them almost two decades. Um, So they very much grew up in their late teens in America, learning how to assimilate into this world. Uh, They met at an English second second language class in San Diego. and. they very much grew up in a world where they didn't really have the luxury of having a dream. So the fact that I'm sitting here with you today talking about um, you know, being the first woman of color in Star Wars, being the first Southeast Asian Disney princess to have that sort of um, career and to come from the place that I came from, from two people who you know, their dream was to have food on the table and have a roof over their heads and to provide Uh, opportunity for their children which they very much did Uh, but yeah it it means everything that I have done would not be possible without me growing up seeing my dad wake up at 4 a.m. going to work every single day seeing my mom you know working um, when we were younger she worked at this foundation called women infants and children and um, she was working a full-time job and then also, you know, cooking and cleaning and do all these things. And, and my parents are absolute superheroes. And I learned work ethic. I learned everything from them. I don't think that I would have been able to had the life that I had um, and, and to get to where I am. Like right before I booked episode eight, I was still working in an office. I had been an assistant since I left high school. I was paying my way through college. At one point, I was working four different jobs. I don't think I could have done all of that if I wasn't raised by the people that I was raised with uh, or raised by. Um, so,
0: yeah, I, my parents are amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that does sound amazing. And it's it's so interesting because I think it's sometimes not until adulthood or, or you go through your own challenges of supporting yourself that you come to realize just how much our parents went through to bring us here and support us here um, and how... You kind of have to go through that full appreciation on your own. Just and and by that time you're like, I finally kind of get it. It it, it was yeah. a lot for you and thank you. You know.
1: Oh my gosh, I was such a little a-hole kid. Like I remember being like, <laughs> I can't imagine being my parents going to work, coming back, like picking me up from school, and then I get there and I'm like, I don't want spaghetti tonight. You know, like you just like don't you don't think about how hard it is to just pay the bills and to also take care of like little human beings who are ungrateful. Like it's, it's, uh, I think exactly what you said. I think as a young person, um, your mind as your mind starts to expand and you start to really understand what it means to be an adult functioning in this world, in the society. Uh, I know for me, I think it was not until my early twenties that I really understood just how much sacrifice and blood, sweat and tears, you know, My parents, yeah, they're everything to me.
0: So tell me about the journey you went through um, embracing that. You know, I I read that when you were nine years old, you stopped speaking Vietnamese altogether because you were tired of hearing other kids mock you. And you've also spoken about your name, which is legally Kelly, a name that your parents gave you legally so that you don't have to go through that challenge of having your name mispronounced. But your real name, your Vietnamese name is Lone. And later in life, you described that it felt like an erasure of culture. Um, What was that that? reckoning for you, like?
1: Man, I mean, it's a reckoning that's still happening, right? I think that when you grow up in a world like the one we all grew up in, where, you know, historically, there has been one type of person in power and one type of person sort of heralded, I think my parents wanted me to very much you know be as easily digestible by that sort of um by that audience if that makes sense they didn't want me ever to feel uncomfortable they always uh they always they always wanted gosh this is such a hard thing to explain um they always wanted me to feel like i was accepted within the society that sort of uh, celebrated one type of lifestyle and one type of upbringing. So yes, they did what I think I probably would have done in their same place, which was give me a name that was easily uh, pronounced. Um, but I think what we, what I didn't understand was that even that act, and and what an act of love that is, you know, to want your child to feel accepted, um, What I didn't realize is I don't even know who I am outside of this system, because at birth already something was changed to make me fit into that system. And that is a problem. (laughs) Uh, I have done, and I think, you know, my friends and I talk about this all of the time. We don't even know what our identities are because we cannot unravel our identity with the world that we grew up in. And it's a very difficult thing to talk about um, because we we talk about, you know, white supremacy. We talk about all these things that are so ingrained in our society that we can't even recognize it sometimes. Um, Forget who I was talking to. uh, Someone was talking to me about culture and the way that we all walk around in culture and we don't even realize it. For example, like fish are in water, but they're not really they don't they probably don't think like, oh, like, hey, like, you're not aware that you're in water. That's just how you've always lived, if that makes sense. So that's kind of how we all have grown up in culture. And now there's this sort of, the wonderful thing is, is I feel like there's this heightened awareness now. People have words like microaggression and gaslight, and these were not words that I grew up with. These were just, you know, those were experiences that I had that I did not know how to define that. I remember feeling weird whenever something like that would happen to me, but if you don't have a name for it, you can't put it out into the open. And it sort of becomes this like spiral of shame and like, did that really happen? And and now we're living in this world where we all have these this sort of shared vocabulary for these things, which I think is wonderful. And I am continuing to try and dismantle the system with inside myself. Um, yeah. Did I answer your question? I feel like I just sort of went on a
0: uh, rant or something. <laughs> well, it, no, I, you did. And I think, I mean, it is a hard question to answer, but at the same time, it is so relatable. And I asked it because I guarantee you, there are so many people who were nodding just as I was just listening to you talk and process it because it is something that so many immigrants and children of immigrants can relate to. Um, I was legally Yehi when I was born in Korea, Seoul, Korea, and um, I moved to the U.S. when I was seven. And uh, I took on the name Michelle because when I used Yehi in school, I was made fun of. And, um, you know, I was ashamed. And so I wanted to just fit in and and go with what the system says should be my name and could be my name. And it was Michelle. And it wasn't until adulthood that I really realized that. I kind of came to that, too, which is like maybe I erased my own culture in, on my own when I was so little. And what were those factors that shaped me then? Um, and would I have even had that vocabulary at age seven? You know, maybe not. Maybe I'm pre- putting too much on myself. But I think um, it is that journey that we all go through. And and now, you know, it's a, I got naturalized. Michelle Yehealy is my full name and it's my professional name. But, but that is in so many of us. Um, So what would you say is like your message to other um, Asian American, young Asian Americans specifically who are navigating this, navigating the feeling of not belonging, which is being forced on them by other people, um, whether it's them being made feel, you know, uh, feeling embarrassed about their culture or food or language or anything. What would be your advice to them?
1: My advice to them is also still sort of my advice to myself if that makes sense um find the people that are your people (laughs) i think anytime you know community is for me the thing that combats any sort of negativity or any sort of isolation anytime you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you're not being understood or you're not being heard i think making sure that you have safe spaces and pockets of people who also share those experiences, so you don't feel so alone in that. Um, that's something that I think has helped deliver me through really difficult, difficult um, times in my life. Um, and also, <laughs> I think um, I something really important to share is. You know we talk about raya and we talk about like being the first southeast asian princess i that for me was such a full circle healing experience because um michelle like you said like i grew up very much someone who felt like i had to hide the parts of myself that made me different and now the experience of doing something that's so very loudly and publicly celebrated the parts of myself that as a little girl I wanted to hide. Like That is such an impossible, miraculous, magical experience. And I want everyone to feel the way I felt doing that. I think when you're young, it's so easy to feel this sort of tunnel vision, like this moment is everything. And it's so difficult. And and yes, it is difficult to, to sort of have moments of isolation and feel like you are different and unheard and unseen. Um, but if, if, if I can say one thing, if my journey has taught me anything, it's that as you get older, you start to realize the things that made you different are the most powerful things about you. And I am learning how to reclaim those parts of myself. I'm in Vietnamese classes. So the parts that I wanted to hide are definitely the parts that I am relearning and, and figuring out how to embrace. And, um, I want that for everyone. I wish I could out with every kid who felt you know these sort of feelings of isolation because I know so deeply what that is um, but yeah I guess my words of advice would be you're not alone it gets better find your people surround yourself with people who love and support you and one day I do think that if your journey is anything like mine and I you know I, I know that I'm speaking from a very privileged place because I've had a weird journey <laughs> um, but I do think that Impossible things are possible, and I do think that. Um, I do think that with age, you start to recognize that those things that you wanted to hide are things to be celebrated, and I can't wait for the world to celebrate all of these things with you and everyone. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, well, in our final minutes. Um, tell us about what's ahead for you, what's next. You've talked about some of the projects You're. It sounded like you're executive producing like everything. Um, oh, yes. And you've talked about wanting to tell stories that are not being told. What mm-hmm. is your vision for how you wanna use your voice and this enormous platform to, that you have to tell stories?
1: Yeah, um, so yeah, like I mentioned before, Lily topples the world. Um, which is this beautiful documentary that I'm excited about. And then the the second project that I told you about is called Summertime, and it has changed my life fully. Uh, I've spent the last two months learning poetry with the poets that, uh, a lot of whom star in in the film. And, you know, this movie is starring 25 poets who have never been in a film before. Um, And it's really just a magical piece of art that I I hope that everyone gets to go out and see because it, for me, it's very much depicting a world that I wanna live in. Um, You know, it's seeing all of these people who are just in their own truth, talking about their pain and their trauma and their life experience with these beautiful words. Um, And, you know, it's just life-changing. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I guess, um, your question about what I want my career to look like or, or what I want to use my voice for um, would just be more things in in, in Along the lines of, of that. I, I want to continue to make Radical revolutionary magical things with radical revolutionary magical people and I want to <sighs> Open people's minds and hearts um, and and make room for those who have historically not had room in this space. Um, And yeah, I want to do things that scare me. I think I am right now. I'm um, (laughs) very scared, (laughs) but I'm still doing those things. And and that's, I think, the important thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, So in one minute we have left in the spirit of celebration, reframing narratives, refuting all the lies that society has forced on us and the shame and otherness, refuting all of that. Tell me one thing that you're so proud of about your heritage, like the thing that makes you, in your gut, so proud. What is that thing?
1: Oh my gosh, uh, the thing that makes me so proud of my heritage. Um, I think, gosh, I, I mean, I think my heritage is defined by so many different things. I can't really pinpoint one part of it that I'm proud of. Um, but I think. What I'm really proud of, I guess, when I talk about my parents, when I talk about my family, when I talk about, like, the people I descended from is this ability to continue to strive and look for a hopeful world despite things getting really bad sometimes. Um, So, yeah, the ability to survive and thrive in a world that maybe taught you uh, that um, you don't belong. I think that's something that I'm really proud of.
0: Resilience and strength. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Uh, Unfortunately, we've reached time. Um, Really appreciate this conversation. Thanks for being with us.
1: Oh my gosh, thanks for having me. It was so nice to chat. Yeah, felt like talking with a friend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And well, thank you uh, in the audience for joining us. Uh, Join my colleague, Jonathan Capehart, tomorrow at 2.30 for the next in our Race in America series with Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. I'm Michelle Yehealy, and thanks for joining us at Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs,
1: visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.